Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 48 Hours ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Need more true crime in your life? An Audible membership can solve that. Audible is the ultimate destination for thrilling audio entertainment. As an Audible member, you could choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. Don't miss The Serial Killer's Apprentice by Katherine Ramsland and Tracy Allman. It follows the true story of how Houston's deadliest murder turned a kid into a killer in training. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 48 hours. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Real people. Real crimes. Real life drama. Did you have anything to do with the death of your wife, Corey? I did not. I'm with the CBS affiliate in Quincy, so we've been covering this from day one. I was a journalist in Quincy for 25 years, and I'm now writing a book on the case. Curtis Lovelace was a center on the Quincy High football team. The offensive line, Kurt Lovelace. Went to the University of Illinois and became an all-Big Ten center. Well, we're just underway. I think we all understand the concept of the play more than the past. He was hired in the uh, Adams County State's Attorney's Office as an assistant state's attorney. She was a beautiful, blonde-haired, blue-eyed woman, thin, perfect face. Essentially what it was, it's you have like the star football player dating the cheerleader. That's what Corey and Curtis were. And then they get married and they have these kids. Everybody thinking he had it all. Do you have good memories of any of the time together? I do. There were good times uh, and bad. I mean, it wasn't uh, a perfect marriage. On Valentine's Day 2006, Curtis Lovelace found his wife, Corey, dead in the bedroom of their home on Kentucky Street in Quincy. What was your reaction? Uh, just utter shock, just not knowing what to do. At what point does it change from being this blissful, you know, storybook relationship to death on Valentine's Day? I think the volatility, you know, sort of built over time. It did escalate to a point where there was a lot of gossip in the community about him. The case was quickly closed. There was no determination for a cause of death. And 
Curtis went on with his life. That's when the Quincy gossip mill got started going. People wanted to know what happened to her. I was sitting in my newsroom and uh, got the call, and they said, sounds like Curtis Lovelace has been arrested. Curtis Lovelace was arrested this afternoon. Lovelace is accused of suffocating his former wife, Corey Lovelace, in 2000. We begin tonight with the start of the Curtis Lovelace murder trial. To not only be called a murderer, but to say that I murdered the mother of my children, it's horrible. This is a prosecution that should have never been brought. There never should have been an indictment. Breaking news here inside the Adams County Courthouse. Judge Hardwick did just now declare a mistrial. It's set for retrial, and we plan to retry it. Here we are again, the beginning of another Loveless trial, the retrial. We're a year after the first one. Defendant's first wife, Corey Lovelace, was suffocated. That will be our medical evidence. You know, in the age of supposed fake news, this is a fake case and there are fake witnesses. No evidence of any homicide. Jenny, what do you see as the big difference this time around? Lovelace's second wife, Erica Gomez, as we know, she was banned from this first trial. She's the biggest difference in this case. A lot of people saying that she was the missing puzzle piece to why we're even here to begin with. Come up here and be sworn. May 2012 is the first time that he attacked me. He ripped my shirt and he tried to grab me again and I kept on trying to fight him off. The children were called down to stop me from calling the police. They were lies. I told him multiple times that I had nothing to do with Corey's death. So how do you find yourself in this position? It's a good question, and it's a question that we've been asking for the last two and a half years. I'm Maureen Maher, tonight on 48 Hours. Death on Valentine's Day. A sense of safety is important to everyone, and that's why I want to talk to you about Simply Safe. It's an advanced security system that protects your entire home so you can rest easy. Simply Safe is completely customizable with advanced sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. You can have 24/7 professional home monitoring for less than one dollar a day. So try Simply Safe for 60 days risk-free. If you don't love it, you can return your system for a full refund. Plus, we're offering listeners 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Don't wait. Visit simplysafe.com slash 48 hours. That's simplysafe.com slash 48 hours. There's no safe like Simply Safe. <sighs> The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. 
Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The way I describe circumstantial evidence is as follows. I like to look at it as pebbles in a mosaic. And you're going to step away from that mosaic. And you know what it's going to say? Murder. Open statements are about what the evidence is going to show. The state had an opportunity to explain to you what evidence they have that Kirk Lovelace murdered his wife, Corey Lovelace. And they didn't present it. For Curtis Lovelace and his family, February 14, 2006 might seem like a long time ago. But for the second time in two years, the husband and children of Corey Lovelace are about to relive those difficult days after she died with yet another murder trial. This time it's in a different courthouse, in a different city. But first, you need to know how this all started. It's Friday night in Quincy, Illinois. And hundreds have come out for the home team. journalist Bob Goff swaps his keyboard for a microphone and moonlights as an announcer. If you're a local sports star, people are always uh, wanting to know about you. And at Quincy High in the 80s, there was no bigger star than Blue Devils Hall of Famer Curtis Lovelace, both on the field and in the classroom. Curtis Lovelace was a very hardworking kid, smart kid. The University of Illinois gave Lovelace, number 54, a scholarship to play football. But he wasn't just any player. Lovelace, a business administration major, was considered one of the top offensive linemen in the Big Ten, a team captain who led the fighting Illini to the conference championship his senior year. Even got a look in free agent camp in the NFL uh, with the Patriots. Had a bad knee injury, which uh, not sure if he would have made it or not, but that certainly uh, didn't help the situation. But being a smart kid, you know, Curtis Lovelace already had uh, other goals in mind. While still in college, Curtis started a long-distance relationship with high school classmate Corey Diedrichsen, who was studying communications at the University of Iowa. She just had a perfect smile. Marty Diedrichsen, Corey's mother, spoke to our CBS affiliate, KHQA. And she just smiled at everybody, and she just did stuff. Corey was vibrant, dynamic, a little bit of stubbornness, and she was a pistol, and I loved her for that. Steve Belko, Beth Dobriski, and Brett Schrader grew up with Corey and Curtis in Quincy. Kurt was easygoing. He was a gentleman, fun-loving, uh, intelligent. Uh, a gentleman. Did you think they were well matched? I did. I did. They, well, they looked great together. They had a lot of similarities and they seemed to have fun together. In 1991, just one year after graduation, they were married. Steve was Kurt's best man and Beth was Corey's bridesmaid. It was one of the best days, you know, 
in our lives. They were very happy. The pictures you could see on their faces. It was a magical night. With Corey by his side, Loveless had grand plans. He attended law school and eventually became an assistant state's attorney in the city they both loved, Quincy. What did Corey want to do with her life? What were her dreams? Corey was all about family. She wanted the big family, the happy marriage, being involved in Quincy. Corey's dream came true in 1993 when their first child, Lindsay, was born. How you doing, Lindsay? That's an ugly dog you got there. And continued with the addition of three sons. On, Logan. Lady. Logan, say something. He's so good. Lincoln. Hey, Lincoln. Smile. And Larson. Lindsay is now 23. She was a loving person. She was involved. Headroom mother, PTA, always there at our games, dance recitals, everything. Um, our number one cheerleader. Do you have a fondest memory of her? I always say dancing to ABBA in the kitchen. Um, she always played ABBA and we always sang along and twirling around and it was just special and I still listen because it's everything to me. <laughs> and Curtis continued to chase his dreams as well. In 2005, while still at the state's attorney's office, he started his own law firm. And as if he wasn't busy enough, Loveless was elected president of the school board, became a captain in the Illinois National Guard, and an adjunct professor at Quincy University. Big man on campus, and he always kind of had that air about him. Was he arrogant? He became arrogant more and more, yes. There was a little bit of a holier than thou. Maybe you were entitled to this living. I, I think he lost friends over time because of that. And the situation at home was changing as well. Curtis's working long hours away from Corey and the kids was taking a toll on their personal life. They fought as a, at a young age. I thought it was normal. But then growing up later on after she was gone, I realized that it wasn't normal. Neighbors around the Loveless house here on Kentucky Street say that in the months leading up to her death, they had heard loud and contentious arguments between Corey and Curtis. By many accounts, both were heavy drinkers. And in this small community, it was known that at times there was a tremendous amount of turmoil in their home. I knew that uh, she wasn't taking care of herself. Corey's family acknowledges she was suffering with an eating disorder, bulimia. I was aware of the bulimia, the binging and the purging late in the day. Corey was an alcoholic, and unfortunately, so much of alcoholism, all of alcoholism, is not, is not pretty. It's, it's, it's ugly, and it brings out oftentimes the worst in people, and it was something that she, she struggled with. You said you drank. Would you describe yourself as an alcoholic? I do describe my, myself as an alcoholic, and I stopped drinking. Was Corey's death the result of her alcohol abuse, or was it murder? It was a question that would go unanswered for almost eight years, until a rookie detective would take a new look at this old case. That's when I went to the chief and asked him if, if I could take a look at it again. And when you saw the pictures, what was your first reaction? It did not appear to me that that could have been a natural death. 
What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. I was at the office just reading old case files and the Loveless case popped into my head. In 2014, Adam Gibson, as a newly promoted detective, decided to take a look at a file of a case he'd always been curious about, the death of Corey Loveless eight years earlier, a death ruled as undetermined. After seeing the photos, that's when I went to the chief and asked him if, if I could take a look at it again. The photos of Corey's body show her arms slightly elevated above her chest. It didn't really make sense, and there was no real explanation for him. In reopening the case, Gibson first consulted Adams County Coroner James Keller, who was the deputy coroner in 2006 when he was called to the Loveless house the morning of February 14th. Upon entering the bedroom, I noticed the uh, female lying on the bed on her back with her hands kind of in an upright position. A body always tells a story the way you find them. What is the story that Corey's body was telling you? That she had passed earlier that prior evening or day. Gibson contacted Dr. Jane Turner, an assistant medical examiner in St. Louis, who agreed with Keller's assessment that Corey's body had stiffened, a condition called rigor mortis, which only happens over an extended period of time. In my report, I stated 10 to 12 hours. Rigor mortis develops maximally at 12 hours. And it was the position of Corey's arms that led Dr. Turner to the theory that Corey had been suffocated. What did you determine would have caused the suffocation? Well, with the position of the hands, it suggests that there was an object between her hands and her body. And it appears that there's a pillow missing. So I suppose that a pillow was used to suffocate her. Turner theorized that the pillow had not been removed until much later. Her hands. After Corey's arms had frozen around it, that her dead body had laid in bed all night. Gibson and Turner's theory of murder was a very different account than the one Curtis Loveless gave police. Curtis says it all started the weekend before Valentine's Day. She had become ill. Um, she uh, appeared to have the flu. Curtis insists Corey was very much alive that morning. 
the vivid memory is, is her coming down. One of the, one of the kids needed uh, uh, a pair of pants. She wasn't feeling any better, and we made the decision that I would take the kids to school. Four-year-old Larson stayed home while Curtis dropped off the other kids. Larson would later tell police that on that morning, he couldn't wake mommy up. Frightened, he waited at the top of the stairs for his dad. By 9 a.m., Curtis returned. And that's when he found Corey dead in their bed. What was your reaction? Um, just utter shock. Uh, I, I, in fact, uh, I'm, I'm not even sure how I reacted. I know what I did. Oddly, Curtis did not react by calling 911. What I saw was someone who didn't need help. Um, I, I just saw my wife who had, who had passed away. Loveless says at that moment, his main concern was to get his youngest child, Larson, out of the house. At trial, Corey's mother, Marty, testifies that Curtis brought him over to her house, which was just around the corner. Sometime after nine, Curtis knocks on the door, and he asked if I would watch Larson. So I take Larson, and he turns and he said, oh, and by the way, Corey's dead. And then what did Mr. Lovelace do? He turned to leave. And I'm trying to think, I, I, I think I think I remember the, the, the fact that on the way I said I want to go and he said everything's been taken care of and he left. Did he stay there and uh, no. explain to you no. what he knew? No. Nothing? No. Did you have anything to do with the death of your wife, Corey? I did not. But Detective Gibson wasn't buying it. His investigation would lead to an indictment. Curtis Loveless was arrested an arrest, this afternoon in connection And Curtis Loveless's first trial, 10 years after his wife's death. Following breaking news outside of the Adams County Courthouse where a mistrial has been declared. The jury deadlocked, unable to decide if Corey was murdered. How does it feel to be released finally? Curtis Loveless was out of jail, but for how long? One year later, a new trial. Very dramatic day today here in the Sigmund County Court. A new jury, but the same question. Did Corey die from alcohol abuse or something more sinister? The second trial would be the culmination of events that began 11 years ago that Valentine's Day morning. She was laying in the bed and her arms were drawn up by her chest. The grim details of that morning would be embedded in the minds of those who were there. EMT Cole Miller was among the first on the scene. I went in there to check for signs of life and checked her carotid pulse in her neck and then checked her wrist and saw that it was cold and stiff. I'm Jeff Baird. Baird was the lead detective in the case in 2006. And you determined that this investigation should be closed because there was no evidence of fire. That is what we determined. Defense attorney John Lovey asks him to describe the scene. Did you find anything whatsoever that seemed consistent with any kind of struggle? No. Did you find any evidence of a homicide? No. No signs of homicide because the cause of death was ruled undetermined. Were you surprised she came back undetermined? I think it was unexpected. I was expecting to see uh, a death from natural causes. 
related to a health condition. Baird also didn't expect to see, on the day he discovered Corey, the condition of her hands and arms. Her arms were up in an unnatural position. Her hands and arms, from the elbow to the hands, were leaning or resting against her abdomen and appeared to be up. It is this strange position of Corey's arms that would become a critical and controversial piece of this case. There was mild rigor in one of her arms and moderate rigor in the other. Uh, rigor was also forming in her legs. Let's be real clear. Were her arms still pliable at 10 Yes. Tell the jury what pliable means. We could move them. The defense argues if Corey's arms were pliable, it would indicate she could have died that morning. And that is in direct contrast to James Keller's testimony. The body was in a full state of rigor, rigor mortis. However long Corey Loveless had been dead, to Keller, it certainly appeared that medical rigor mortis had set in. The state of rigor mortis to get in that position, um, generally the rule of thumb of anywhere from 8 to 12 hours. Did it make any sense to you that they were saying it was that morning? It did not. It just didn't seem to add up. Two days after Corey's death, her body was cremated and the case was closed. A 38-year-old woman was suddenly dead for seemingly no apparent reason. We assume that, uh, that her, her eating disorder, that her alcoholism um, somehow caused her death and whether it was checked undetermined uh, or natural death really wasn't something that we were concerned about. Life went on. Six months later, Loveless started dating Erica Gomez, who he later married. Gomez would become an explosive figure in his second trial. His parents knew that he was abusive. That's why they came and got him. His parents probably knew that he killed his first wife. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. After his wife, Corey, mysteriously passed away in 2006, it took Curtis Loveless less than six months to find love again, this time with one of his students at Quincy University, Erica Gomez. I remember my dad coming up to me and saying, hey, just so you know, I've been seeing this woman. And what was your reaction? I was shocked. 
but couldn't process it at the same time because what 12-year-old is going to process a parent dating, mm -hmm. especially so quickly after the loss. And looking back, it was, I think, properly characterized as a rebound relationship. I regret starting the relationship. Were you lonely? Absolutely. Two years later, Loveless and Gomez were married. What was your relationship like with Erica? Not good at all. Um, for some reason, there was some hatred towards my mom. Like, she was public enemy number one. So I would tell her to stop. Like, it's not fair. And then I would get punished for that. By whom? By Erica. And what scared me more was that my dad would sit there and watch it. It didn't take long for things to go from bad to much worse. It was Christmas Eve and my mom's side of the family invited all of us to come for family dinner. Christmas was my mom's favorite holiday. And I was crying because I missed her and I wanted her there. And all of a sudden, Erica walks in and says, we're leaving now. So I get three to five minutes to calm down, get ready, go to walk out the door, find out that my dad, Erica, the boys had left. My family was not happy with them leaving me and that set off a bomb. A bomb that blew her family apart. It blew up to the point where when I re returned home that evening, uh, Ms. Gomez was throwing Lindsay's stuff out of the house. I closed her in the street. My room is completely trashed. I knew my life was never going to be normal ever again. And that's when you moved in with your mom's mom. Yeah. Loveless and Gomez divorced in 2013. I decided that I'd made a, a poor decision um, and tried to end that relationship as peacefully and as amicably as possible. Unfortunately, it just didn't, didn't end as peacefully and amicably as it, as it should have. On the stand in front of the jury, Erica gave the courtroom a sample of her explosive personality. He threatened me, he controlled me. He is physically abusive to me. He had Hurling a variety of accusations against Loveless. I've watched him get rid of evidence. I've watched him use his children to get rid of evidence. He used my social security number to try and steal money out of my account. All he sexually assaulted me. Did you have any concern that they would buy into what she was saying? I didn't have that concern because I knew they were lies. He was poisoning me. There was, my hair was falling out with the white lines on my fingers. I was extremely sick. I had to. You, you were aware, Ms. Gomez, that you were not supposed to mention that because there was no evidence well, to support yeah. While Gomez was a witness for the prosecution, ultimately her testimony may have done more for the defense. I had a hard time believing that the prosecution actually wanted to put her on the stand. Also in the courtroom, Curtis Lovelace's third wife, Christine, who, like Corey, Curtis knew from Quincy High. They were married in 2013, just months after his divorce from Gomez. The behavior was so outlandish. The accusations were so outlandish. The fake tears. The children were called down to stop me from calling the police. So you felt that the jury would have zero credibility with me? Absolutely. 
On the stand for the prosecution, Detective Adam Gibson would have to defend his credibility and explain just how he found an expert to support his belief that Corey was murdered. It's been implied that you did some doctor shopping. Yes. Do you think that's what you did? Absolutely not. Remember, Dr. Jane Turner sided with Detective Gibson. After studying the evidence, Turner believed that Corey had died the night before police arrived. Given the circumstances of the state in which her body was found and the altered scene, that it, it appears that she did die of a homicide from suffocation. A logical conclusion, except for the fact that when questioned by Quincy police, the loveless children, except Larson, said they saw their mother alive on the stairs before going off to school the morning Gibson believed Corey was already dead. When Adam Gibson came to speak to you and he asked you, do you remember, you told him that you did. You remembered seeing her that morning. And you came to believe that the children were wrong, correct? I didn't say they were wrong. I don't know what they saw. And maybe neither did they. I had had a story in my head of I saw her sitting on the stairs, waving to us, goodbye, I love you, left. And I always said, oh, it was great, I got to say I love you. Do you remember seeing your mother that Valentine's Day morning? It's a black hole. You don't know? No. How certain are you now that Curtis Loveless murdered his wife, Corey? I'm 100% certain. But defense attorney John Lobey was about to challenge everything Detective Adam Gibson believed about the death of Corey Loveless. Adam Gibson decided to create a crime where one didn't exist. You knew that the case had been closed because nobody found sufficient evidence of the correct? I read that it was closed, yes. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Prosecutor Ed Parkinson brings in three forensic pathologists to prove Detective Gibson's theory that Corey was murdered. From world-renowned doctor Werner Spitz. Miss Lovelace died in my view of suffocation. To Dr. Scott Denton, the pathologist first consulted when the case was reopened. I would determine her cause of death to be suffocation. And finally, to Dr. Jane Turner, the out-of-state expert who also believes Corey was suffocated. Defense attorney Lobey tries to discredit Turner, saying she never saw Corey's body. 
and her opinion that Corey's body was in full rigor mortis conflicts with the first responders on the scene. For you to be like Jeff Baird has to be wrong about his assessment, correct? Um, That's correct, right? Yes. For you to be right, paramedic Ballard has to be wrong about his assessment that the arms were still pliable, correct? Yes. If Corey Lovelace's body was pliable, as the defense claims, full rigor mortis had not set in, and she did not die the night before. When Coroner Keller is cross-examined, Lobie belittles his role in the case. You were at the scene of Corey's death for all of five minutes, correct, sir? Probably, yes, sir. Lobie comes down hardest on Detective Gibson. You've continued to pursue Mr. Lovelace because you had already decided that this man must be guilty. No. He grills Gibson about rigor mortis. At what point did you learn that you were wrong that the body was in full rigor at the scene? I don't know to, the, to this day that I'm wrong. I'm going to show you a copy. Then a new twist. Lovie accuses Gibson of withholding evidence, emails that never made it into the first trial. You did delete all your emails in January 2015, did you not? Yes. The defense was able to recover those emails. Lovie reads one email from a pathologist who told Gibson he could never make a good murder case since Corey's death had originally been ruled undetermined. That is more than reasonable doubt in any reasonable person's mind. Right, this email should have been turned over, right? I, I believe so. It should, yes. And you didn't turn it over, did you? I did not. But Gibson testified that he never engaged in any intentional wrongdoing. Have you ever intentionally deleted or modified emails to manipulate an investigation? No. Lovey calls to the stand his own noted pathologist, Dr. William Oliver, who was on the O.J. Simpson case. Oliver had no doubt how Corey died. It is my opinion that she died of the complication of alcohol withdrawal known as acute fatty liver. After a battle of the experts, defense gambles that the most believable witness might be the accused killer himself. As I approached the bed, I could, I could, see, I could see her hands. Um, I, could see, um, I could see her eyes were open, um, and she was, she was very pale, and there was just there was nothing there. Corey was dead. Um, that's, that's what I saw. Um, that's what I saw. I told him multiple times that I had nothing to do with Corey's death. Of course, being accused of a cold-blooded murder of your wife, that reduces your liability factor, correct? A little bit. Do you feel like everything you said, every decision you made, is now being picked over and twisted unfairly? Um, we've been doing this for two and a half years. And it was remembering the time right after Corey died that Curtis became most emotional. One of our high school classmates who was a pastor, um, he, he's, he's the one that, that, that delivered the eulogy. I wrote it, but I couldn't, couldn't deliver it. 
three loveless boys continued to support their father. The two oldest testified they saw their mother that Valentine's morning. I remember getting ready for school, walking back and forth, getting stuff done, sitting on the stairs with my mother, um, and heading out the door. How confident are you, though, from your memory itself that you saw your mother last One hundred percent. Was this the last time you ever saw your mother alive? Yes. Their sister, Lindsay, was not called to testify by either side. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. As the trial goes to final arguments. Yeah, the reasonable doubt, ladies and gentlemen, is the standard. Those words don't have a dictionary definition. You're all going to have to apply your life experiences beyond the reasonable doubt. Doesn't mean probably, doesn't mean maybe. Beyond a reasonable doubt. What's that mean? Well, because really what the case is about is that lady, Corey. That's who the case is about. She died at age 38 because a six foot four inch former football player standing over her muffled her and, and forgot to take the pillow away. The question is whether any jury can sort out what exactly happened that Valentine's Day morning. Do you think we'll ever know what happened with your mom? No. If a verdict comes out this round, it comes out, I don't think we'll ever fully know. Hear Curtis Loveless testify on the shock of getting arrested at 48hours.com. All murder trials have their clashes between the prosecution and defense. I would like to know who's coming, like you bastard. Are you going act like you're winning? Pretend like you're doing okay. But the spats between Ed Parkinson and John Lovey Morning. were more contentious. I've objected to his antics. I told him to shut up. I don't like him. After seven days of testimony in Curtis Lovelace's second murder trial, the jury continues hearing closing arguments. So here we are. What is the state showing? Corey died from suffocation, and he did it. 
Prosecutor David Robinson. He had a motive. She was an alcoholic. She yelled at him. She yelled at the kids. And that night, he had enough. The state asked me to find Curtis Lyle was guilty of murder beyond reasonable doubt. There is no evidence in this case that this woman was smothered. She died a natural death. They have no murder weapon. They have no forensic evidence. I mean, he went out trying to prove a case where there was no crime. This is a rebuttal. And I'll repeat you all. I've got good news for you. I'm not going to take long. Because he committed a stupid crime. This Mr. Smart, smart man here. And you can do your job now because the only thing that makes sense here is that she was suffocating. And with that, the jury began their deliberations. As this case is stated in these instructions, and it's your duty to follow all of them. I believe in everything we did, um, every step that we took, it was a search for the truth. Then, in little more than two hours, all parties were called back to the courthouse. Unlike in the first trial, this time the jury had reached a verdict. We were prepared um, uh, in our minds, in our heart, for, for whatever the verdict was. So this time, at least you know there's going to be an answer. We know there's going to be an answer, but still knowing that 12 people have our fate and our future and our children's future in their hands is scary. We, the jury, find the defendant, Curtis T. Lovelace, not guilty. Hey! Signed by the four person and 11 jurors. Thank you. 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 More than 10 years after Corey died and two trials accusing him for the murder of his wife, Curtis Loveless, surrounded by his three sons, walks out of the courtroom a free man. We put our trust in God and, uh, and we put our trust in the legal system and uh, we weren't let down. And so it's a, a, a great day for uh, our family, um, a great day um, for all of our friends, and uh, we're just we're just thankful. Kurt had absolutely nothing to do with his wife's death, and the jury saw that. Prosecutor Ed Parkinson is clearly upset by the quick decision. Uh, disappointed, but <clears throat> but the jury has spoken, so that's the end of it. But just days after the verdict, Curtis Loveless told 48 Hours that he and Christine still have a lot of questions about Detective Adam Gibson's investigation. Clearly, I don't appreciate what he's done to, uh, to me and my family. And um, uh, whatever happens with Adam Gibson um, happens with Adam Gibson. There's truth, and, uh, and I believe the truth will come out. You intend to pursue how and why this all happened? I, I think those are questions we want answered. The family remains deeply divided by the legal saga now behind them. Curtis, Christine, and the three boys have not spoken to Lindsay since the day Curtis was arrested in 2014. 
I, I don't think by our choice. We were advised not to engage in a relationship with people who were possibly against Kurt. So uh, do you see a day when we hope so. everyone we talk about is it. together? We talk about it often. Is that on the docket of things to do? You know, I, I think we'd, we'd all like to see reconciliation. I'm just not sure how that happens. It's, it's, it, 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 I'm sure it's going to be difficult. For now, Lindsay says she is working to move forward with her own life, inspired by her mother's memory. My mom was a beautiful person. She touched so many people. She was passionate. But that's the kind of person she was, and that's the kind of person I try to be. Christine Loveless adopted Curtis's three sons. Lindsay was already 18 years old. Christine and Curtis are undecided if they will return to live in Quincy. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the 48 Hours podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.